ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Warlord Games official podcast. My name is Brad, and I am the host of this show, and joining us today is an old personal friend of mine, and one of the greats of Bolt Action. Now, Bolt Action is a game that has been around for a good long while now, about half a decade, and it has had a very rich and vibrant culture and community that's grown up with the game over time. And our guest tonight has been there from the beginning and has been putting out fantastic content, be it through different web outlets like boltaction.net, um, via paint all the minis via, I mean, you name it, WWPD. He has put out some of the best painting guides. He's uh, done incredibly well at events and he's sort of the total package and just puts out the best stuff. And as if that isn't enough, he's contributed with a bunch of different books and PDFs, um, that, have been bolt action related over the years, but now he has his own full book and it is amazing. I think it's only fair that before I say what that book is, I introduce the one, the only Brian cook to the warlord cast. Welcome, man. How you doing? I'm good, Brad. Thanks for having me on, mate. Mate. It is always a pleasure to have you on. It's wonderful to hear your voice. How's life in Sydney? Oh, it's great. Can't complain. Um, normal day at work, but uh, now I get to chat bolt action. So happy days. Living the dream. Yeah, man. All right. So you have been just passionate about one particular slice of World War II for as long as I've known you. Um, it's a passion project that you shared with our mutual friend, Anthony, and you guys did some work um, for a PDF for that a long time ago that Warlord eventually published, and it was out on through their website. But now you've actually taken that to the next level and done an entire campaign book about uh, battle for Budapest and Hungarian forces and all the other forces that were related with that. It's it's amazing. How how did this little passion project of yours turn into one of the thickest campaign books yet? Oh, mate, yeah, I guess, um, yeah, like you say, it started back in the day, probably, I think it was 2014 and 15. Mm -hmm. um, Anthony and I were working on like an unofficial expanded army list for the Royal Hungarian Army, mm -hmm. um, sim simply because I think um, of the nature of the, the armies of Italy and the Axis, that had to fit quite a lot of forces into one book and they couldn't really go into depth on any one of them. Um, so we felt it was like missing quite a bit of the, the units that were known at the time and equipment and things like that. So back in you know, 2015, we made an unofficial sort of list of extra units and some some experimental national rules because they sort of don't have any and um that also kicked into um you know a lot of hungarian um modeling and painting because mm -hmm. there wasn't really many miniatures back then either that's right so so we were experimenting with how to convert them up and offering you know ideas on how to paint them too because they're not a well-known force no. in the, for most second world war gamers they're a real niche periphery army so we kind of helped bring some more information about how, to, how they looked. Mm -hmm. um, and that sort of evolved over the years to um, end up being a full campaign book because in between that, um, I just my, dipped my hand into helping on a few other of the campaign books like um, like New Guinea. I helped out Mark Barber. Mm -hmm. um, he's a fantastic author. He's written 
you know, three amazing campaign books so oh, far. Yeah. Battle of the Bulge, um, uh, Battle, Battle of France and New Guinea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked with him on New Guinea just a little bit um, on the Australian forces in that book. Um, and that that's also had started off as, you know, like a um, experimental um, PDF mm-hmm. rule. So we'd, I'd written an army list with a few other guys like Patch and um, a few other contributors. And that became part of the New Guinea book, so it became official. Um, so there's a couple of projects that I'd worked on starting off as like, you know, free PDFs just to get some more content out to the community and put a spotlight on some forces that I thought needed some extra attention in terms of rules. Mm-hmm. And then um, it came around that, the camp, you know, the campaign book series had started um, with Battle of the Bulge. And I, th- I saw that format and I was really keen to, um, you know, make official some of the, the Hungarian work we'd done already and also expand more on that. Because I think that this campaign has, you know, there's so much that works really well for bolt action in terms of the forces and the scenarios. Definitely. And it also is just a really interesting campaign. I don't think it's been covered very extensively yet in wargaming. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, it was a good opportunity to to pitch um, this campaign as a potential campaign book. And um, um, thankfully, the, the guys at Warlord were pretty interested in um, what I had to, you know, what I could put into it. So, um, you know, after some emails back and forth, um, I, put, I put together like a draft sort of proposal, what will be in it and mm-hmm. how it would work. Um, and they were still keen. So that was good. <laughs> that is good. Yeah. <laughs> and um, from there, um, it's, it worked on uh, the Osprey sort of scheduling where they pick um, a slot because they, they bring out, you know, these campaign books come out, you know, three or four a year. Mm-hmm. So there was a, you know, a few more that are already in, in the works. So um, this is back in 2017. I started on on this, so yeah, it's been a long road, um, hasn't it? Yeah, a bit of a long road, but um, but it's but it's out now because this is the slot it was allocated to come out at. Um, but it was it ended up being a good thing to have a bit more extra time to work on this one because um, I could put more effort into it. Basically, um, more research, more um, more units, more scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, I could paint models for the photos, take more photos, maps. Um, just a lot more could go into it to make it more of a package. Yeah. Well, you were part of the original design team for the uh, BoltAction.net campaign pack, which has been sort of used uh, across the world from time to time uh, for different Bolt Action events. And so scenario writing for you has always been sort of old hat, but then adapting that to, to match the history. Um, now, as you say, Hungary, the battle, the force, I guess... The battles where Hungarian forces were fighting are not always the most well-known, and sometimes big battles that we do know, a lot of people may not realize that Hungarian forces were involved with it. And of course, this book includes a lot more than just Hungarian forces, but I understand that as you had that extra time, how I, I know you were tempted to bulk out with more missions. Um, how did you temper that with your ability to actually get good playtesting in and actually thinking through? Because I know that that process for you took a long time. Yeah, there was um, there was there was definitely a finite amount I could get into the book um, simply because you know it's a, it's a physical book and it would cost money and mm-hmm. you got to keep it you got to keep it to a certain page limit. So. What I did at the start was um, knowing like knowing the campaign pretty well, but not as well as ended up knowing it after the research. Yeah. 
I mapped out like what the scenarios that I think were going to be in the book first. Mm -hmm. And then, but then I readjusted my plan as I worked through um, because some scenarios didn't offer something new in terms of gameplay. Mm -hmm. Like they felt a bit repetitive, um, even though that that was something that I thought would be important to include. Mm -hmm. And others presented themselves by surprise. So I might have just read, you know, an anecdote or a small um, snippet of the history that really just spoke to me and said, you know, this needs to be a bolt action scenario because that story is just crazy. All right. So, so hold they, on. You, you can't drop something like that and not give us some tastes. Give us a little taste of uh, an example of a little historical anecdote that you read that turned into a mission in the book. Okay. So there was, um, there was some, some major sort of tank battles that were happening out in the surrounding plains around Budapest. Mm -hmm. um, and there's several scenarios where the, the Soviet forces are rolling like with these huge tank brigades um, across the plains, um, taking um, the main roads towards Budapest and the city. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the sort of Axis forces, so the Hungarians and Germans, desperately trying to stop them. Um, and some really interesting um, situations pop up. So um, two of the really interesting examples I thought were cool were um, there's actually an 88 battery um, that is on the ground at the time that these tanks roll up to this town and they, they can't see them. The Soviets just look at the town and think it's unguarded. We're going to roll straight through this town because the Germans are fleeing and they mm -hmm. come up against this whole 88 battery, a uh, uh, whole formation that's been sort of hidden amongst the buildings and is sort of firing over open sites at them. So suddenly they're facing all these 88s just on their town edge, just taking them out. Um, so I could write a, you know, a full selector for an 88 battery, like platoon essentially. Oh. Um, but even but even when the Soviets were confronted by that, the Soviet tank crews were extremely courageous and like were, you know, there's a few um, reports of like some of the tanks were on fire and the and the guardsmen inside because they're they're a guards unit were still advancing in in burning tanks and trying to crush these 88s like because they just didn't want to give up. Oh. So that that was pretty full on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's another scenario was further up the road just after this battle, um, the Soviets reached. A defensive line that was sort of dug around Budapest to try and stop the enemy there, mm -hmm. um, and that was called the Attila Line. And um, I think you'll see in the the warlord has just released some Hungarian paratroopers. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. So they, those 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 guys turned out to be some pretty tough troops. They um they they marched out to those lines and sort of dug in trenches behind this big anti tank ditch there. Um, and the Soviets came at them at night with tanks. So they had to sort of take on tanks in the night with, and the only weapons they sort of had were sort of Panzerfaust or, um, you know, a few Pack 40s, like not very much. So they had to run around in the darkness tank hunting. So there's a cool scenario for that, um, where every now and again, like a flare will shoot up into the air during the battle. So you have to sort of pick your time when you're going to leave your trench and go and hunt that tank. Because, you know, if you are caught out in the open as a Hungarian paratrooper or an infantryman, and the flare goes off and suddenly it's daylight, you know, there's, and, there's, and you're surrounded by tanks, it's not going to be good. No, you're toast. <laughs> so, yeah, that was um, that was really full on. There's, like, the actual special miniature that comes with the book. Um, there's a guy called Major, Major Tassoni, mm -hmm. and he had a really remarkable action during that fight too where um, things got so desperate that he decided um, to call down artillery on his own position as he could see this huge Soviet... Um, infantry attack forming up at the base of their sort of trenches that was going to overwhelm them. So um, he told his men to, you know, basically dig in and get down and then called in this artillery and sort of stopped the attack. But, you know, it's pretty crazy stuff to do. So 
Nice. Oh, that's, yeah, yeah. just, I mean, we like to talk about the big, iconic, um, cinematic moments that are captured on the tabletop with the game Bolt Action. And this is just a whole new chapter of history that, uh, you know, I like to think I'm not a novice when it comes to World War II history, having played Bolt Action for a long time and actually done a lot of research around the armies that I play. But this is like, you know, it's it's like the vaults opened up and there's a whole new part of history that I've never even considered. And from what I understand, you spent, I mean, a significant amount of time really deep diving because the resources necessary to, I mean, it's, it's easy to dig up some parts of the war because there's a lot of coverage of it. For the bits and pieces you had to research for this book, you really had to 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 fight for it, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I also felt like you, where um, I knew the basics of the campaign, but as I started, like you say, deep diving and re- reading more, it was like opening up a whole new like sections of history I hadn't even encountered, or mm. just finding out a lot more. And it was really rewarding that way because, um, like you say, if you're if you're covering something like um, a well-known like Battle of the Bulge or mm-hmm. Market Garden or something, there's just so much out there, and you kind of know the basics and you probably won't find too many surprises unless you dig deep. Um, but this was just constantly finding new and interesting stuff. And I just wanted to include as much as I could for people, because it is hard to track down some of it. Um, mainly because obviously the Hungarian's history is not written in English. So mm-hmm. not, not all of it's been translated over um, because of the cold war and the Soviet occupation there, that a lot of their history from this time was suppressed or sort of gotten rid of because it was, you know, not, what they wanted to, talk, to be talked about. Right. So a lot, a lot of records got lost, a lot of history's gone. Um, and even during the research on this book, I spent about, i say about three to four of, of months first but of the sort of year and a half I had to work on this book, um, just literally reading and taking notes and just mm-hmm. really getting all, gathering all the historical research I could. And um, even halfway through writing the book, some new books came out, um, during during the process so i could gather more information um because a couple of the historians had actually gone into the russian archives and brought out some new books um from the russian point of view of this campaign which was something i was missing at the start of the project so i could go back and add in some more depth to the russian forces and a couple of scenarios from their point of view too that's awesome that was really cool that is, man. And I, I I feel like I I missed an opportunity and I don't want to miss it again. A long time ago, John Stollard, CEO of Warlord Games, came on a podcast that you and I were on. And somebody said, could you please make Hungarian paratroopers? And he <laughs> laughed and basically said that'll never happen. Can I just say that I'm pretty sure because of your hard work and the hard work of a few people in our community, we now have Hungarian paratrooper models that are amazing from Warlord Games. So thank you, Brian. Yeah, that's okay, mate. And that is true. I do remember that. We, I think Anthony um, sort of brought it up as an example of something that was so far out of left field that he could never say yes. And then look what's happened. <laughs> That's amazing. And it, it is pretty amazing just how wide a range of Hungarian models Warlord has put out for this book. So why don't you talk about that? Because I know that um, when they were designing those models, you sort of got in. And so you've seen everything before the rest of us. 
what I mean, that's got to be exciting for you as something that has been as you know, an army that has been or in a project that's been such a passion of yours. Yeah, it's been really rewarding. It's um, it's, it's a really holistic sort of approach to it. So, you know, I've been able to do the research, um, inform Warlord on, you know, with the book and then help them with their research on the miniatures and the sculpting. So um, because there isn't or there wasn't up until last year, there wasn't any 28 millimeter Hungarian models from anybody out there. So right. um, there were some vehicles from one company, but, you know, there wasn't any infantry um, up. In, and then a few a few ranges have come out last year, but. I think warlords are the best um, sculpted and they yeah. just look they look incredible and they're really accurate because we just, you know, we're back and forth a lot. Um, I was gathering a lot of, you know, photographic and visual reference for them and advising them on the uniforms. And then they got a really talented sculptor on. I wish I knew his name to give him a credit because they're just a really nice sculpt. They're really characterful and they're really easy to paint, like really um, to find detail. So um, they... I've produced like the the basic infantrymen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a there's a squad box. There's some support weapons like the machine gun and the mortar because mm-hmm. <clears throat> I used an old um, World War One Austrian machine gun called a Schwarzlosser, and that that's um that's really distinctive for them. So they've got that miniature made now, and um the HQ model looks amazing. The officer just looks perfect. He's wearing like a leather jacket. He's got his moustache, mm-hmm. um, so all these distinctive Hungarian um, visual cues, which is great. That's awesome. Um, there's paratroopers, which we've spoken about, and the special model with the book is the paratrooper major, so mm-hmm. you can build a paratrooper force. And I think they're going to bring out um, – I haven't seen them yet, but they're sculpting a winter range, so oh, that should be – yes. Yeah, so you'll so with trench uh, you know, great coats and things mm-hmm. like that. So they'll easily be able to mix in with the – um, other basic Hungarian troops, um, so you could um, bulk out your platoon with multiple sculpts and not have repeat models and stuff. So they'll all all work together and easily be mixed. Nice. So I'm looking forward to those. And there are some vehicles too, and I'm going to let you pronounce those because I'm going to butcher them. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. There's actually a section, um, like a little box inside the campaign book, which has all the Hungarian terminology and names and things to help people. Because it's, it's a pretty <clears throat> different language. It is. <clears throat> Sorry. So, yeah, the, the vehicle they've got is the armored car. I think it's called a Chaba. I think mm-hmm. is how it's pronounced. Um, and I think there's a assault gun coming, the Zrinyi 2. Yes. Which is, a, which is a real beast of a, um assault gun. It's a real, like, low silhouette, boxy-looking um, assault gun with this huge howitzer on the front, like a like Stu-42 type yes. setup. Yeah, and I was going to say, it looks very much like a Stu-42, sort of boxy and brutal, and it just, it is so, it's such a cool-looking model, um, and it would be awesome to see on the tabletop. Yeah, it's 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 my favorite of theirs, because um, the Hungarians had enough of a industrial base to be able to produce their own armored fighting vehicles um, and heavy weapons, so you'll see in the army list um, and the selectors, they have their own armored divisions with their own tanks. Um, assault gun formations, which are quite distinctive infantry support um, wing for them. And, yeah, so that that's another reason why they're interesting. they got their own take on things, got their own vehicles and their own look. Yeah, they do. And it, it, it's such a, as you say, just like the history, you open up the door and you look and you go, wow, what is that? <laughs> that's cool. Um, and then when it's put in the context of World War II, I mean, the vehicles definitely have that World War II look to them. Um, it, it, it just, it opens up your imagination to think, 
wow, look at look at everything that could be added. Because just when you think you've seen it all for bolt action, Warlord loves to pull out some you know obscure tank or you know something you haven't seen every day. But now they're pulling out, thanks to you, an entire army of that, which is just awesome. Yeah, that's a great way to sum it up. They are just a real um, an, an army out of the you know left field. But it's once you start reading up and painting them and gaming with them, it's just it's really great. Um, they they just I don't know they've got enough to hold their own, but they got and they're also got enough in there to be distinctively in you know sort of a different feel to say Germans or Romanians, um, you know, or Finns. Exactly. Like they're just different. And it is nice to see that love for what is sometimes termed a minor nation for bolt action, because sometimes, you know, the big nations, you get such a wide span of models to see what is, you know, is literally a minor power in the war all of a sudden have a full range of models rolled out like that. It, I think it just speaks um, volumes about Warlord's willingness to support the game and to really, um, you know, promote it because there are there are a lot of minor powers and a lot of things we just haven't seen on the tabletop yet yeah i think this really offers something new it's really exciting i'm just i've got um i've been able to paint a few of the hungarian models so far because uh, they were kind enough to send some through early um and there's a painting guide up now um you can check out for that to mm -hmm. sort of help people who are just getting their own um, but there's a few more on the way like i'm, I'm getting the paratroopers soon i'm really looking forward to painting those that's nice. gonna be good Oh, that's awesome. All right. Well, I hear the internet calling to me in the background. And as much as I want to talk to you about the history and the background of this, I absolutely know that if I don't talk about the contents of the book, they're going to come after me with torches. So let's let's talk about what, what can we find when we open the Battle for Budapest? Okay. So it's following the sort of refined format that the campaign books have now, mm -hmm. so where you'll get an introduction, a historical introduction, and Sort of setting a scene and helping you get the context around what's taking place, and yes. then and then it starts diving more into what's taking place in terms of the battles, um, and you'll find there's some um, scenarios sort of spread out along that historical timeline through the book, mm -hmm. and then towards the back of the book, there's gathered all the theater selectors and new units for each nation. So that's your sort of physical structure of how the book works. Excellent. Um, the way I sort of approached how you how you you'll read it as a as a player is um the history is quite compelling and quite interesting and there is a fair bit of it like in the front to help out because it isn't a well-known campaign right um so i wanted to include all the interesting stuff i found out um for especially from a wargamer's point of view so you roll along through the the pace of the story because there is a bit of pace to it because the the campaign begins with a like a basically a, a massive soviet offensive into the country and then um, you know, all these sort of desperate battles taking place as the Soviets closing on Budapest itself. And then there's this huge city siege. It goes for 100 days. Um, meanwhile, there's, you know, um, the Germans are sending panzer divisions to sort of counterattack and break mm -hmm. the siege ring and try and relieve the city. Um, and, and there's a big oil field down in the south that the, that Hitler really needs to hold on to. So, um, you know, at the end of the book, it's finished off with Operation Spring Awakening, which is this huge sort of SS panzer assault um, through the mud and snow, trying to desperately hold on to those oil fields and try and break through to Budapest again. So, you know, there's quite a pace to the story. And um, what I thought was good is I didn't want to go too deep into the history to get bogged down, but I wanted to use the scenarios as another way to learn something. So mm -hmm. you'll be reading through and, and getting, you know, your head around what's taking place. And then 
at any point I thought was worth having a scenario where, you know, it, it just was a great gaming opportunity. The, 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 the history in the book stops and a scenario will pick up, but the scenario explains some more about what's taking place in that particular battle. So if you game your way through this book, you'll learn a lot. Um, and the information is just sort of spread out in that way. So it doesn't sort of slow down. Yeah, it doesn't bog down, but it it definitely. I mean, the way that um, the campaign system or the campaign books flow, you you really do maintain that narrative flow of how things ha- rolled historically. You get a feel of the you know the fluctuations between the sides um, on the table. To, I mean, sort of campaign wise, and how that translates down to the tabletop. And I think this book will be awesome for that because so much of a so much of it will be new for us as players. And so that historical information real really give us the context to enjoy the battles on the tabletop. Yeah, I hope so. Like, I mean, there's this, um, I also tried to make the scenarios varied in terms of the experience you'll get, Mm. um, as a player. So they're not, they're not repetitive in any way. Like if, if there was a particular battle, yeah, that was, um, too similar to another one in terms of what scenario would be, I sort of, I would omit that one and pick the, another battle where the scenario would be such a different setup that you could experience something different. So um, as a player of Bolt Action, you know, I'm, I'm pretty conscious of that. So I play this game a lot. So I know I had a pretty good idea what I hope people will enjoy mm-hmm. playing themselves when I wrote this. So um, some of the really interesting scenarios all happened during the city siege too, when, um, when Budapest is, surrounded for 100 days and they're fighting through the the various parts of it um because it is a, it's an it's a metropolis it's this huge city that's um spanning across the danube river so there's two sides to it it's got this unique geography there's um a lot of axis troops that are really that are trapped inside are really interesting too so you've got a lot of different units um suddenly finding themselves trapped and a lot of really bizarre situations um with within the city fighting mm-hmm. so um You'll be familiar with um, some of the um, sort of scenarios. There's one in particular I think you'll like called Supply Drop. Hey. Um, have you seen that one yet? Yes. So um, that that's drawing heavily on one of your classic um, missions, actually, Brad. Oh, thank you. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I pulled in anything I could that, that I thought people would be have fun with, especially from that old um, harking back to that old um, mission pack we made years mm. ago. This was one of the most popular ones. Was um, um, Kitty Hawk down. down? Yeah. So, so this 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 mission is all about um, the Axis forces have been trapped in the city for a long time and they've got no way of getting resupplied other than the air. Mm-hmm. So, so Goering actually sent in all these sort of um, planes to parachute in supplies and these one-way flying like glider troops. Um, sorry, glider pilots would fly in. Um, these gliders laden with supplies and then try and land in the city parks. That's how desperate it was getting. So um, there's a scenario in here where you're basically running around in a, in amongst like the city park with the buildings near around you. And there's um, there's parachute canisters that are spread out across the table and you've got to go and grab as many as you can and see what's inside them. And some have like roll in a chart. Some have things in there that are really useful. It could be a box of Panzerfaust or it could be food or medical supplies. Mm-hmm. Um some are really useless things like a box full of iron crosses. So you don't get any bonuses for that because oh. they're just useless. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, at some point, um, a glider will crash 
into the table. So as you're fighting, there's a there's a, there's a chance that some of your some of your men might get hit by the impact, or you know, you keep your eye out for that. Yeah. So that's that's pretty fun. I'm not gonna lie, Brian. Um, when I read that along, you know, read that, and then hearing you describe it, that is literally my kind of mission. I cannot wait to play it. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're like you'll you'll see that like the. I mean, this isn't trying to trivialize any of the real history or anything, but the gaming experiences inside are designed to be um, not say slavish recreations of a particular battle to the point where they're not that fun to play. These are supposed right. to be good good gaming experiences, and you'll learn something about what happened in in this campaign while doing it. So, um, yeah, that's one of them. There's um, one of my favorites is set in the city cemetery, actually. Yes, it's a yeah. great mission. Yeah, so there's um. The siege is going for a, you know a long time, like many weeks, two over two months, um, and the city cemetery becomes part of the front line, and the Axis troops are sort of digging in to the tombs and the the crypts and the graveyards and sort of throwing up, um, you know, the contents and building these sort of bunkers out of them and machine gun nests that are hidden amongst them. And the Soviets have to fight their way through. So um, this particular game is you're only playing on a four by four table, so it's like like really small and condensed and it's a completely graveyard sort of setup um and even the troops don't come in from like opposite board edges as such they um the way the setup works is you've got these sort of multiple objectives that you'll take turns placing mm-hmm. um but that's also where your troops will enter the game from enter the mm-hmm. battle from because to show, sort of rep, like help simulate that maze effect of like this what this battlefield would have been like um, there's like hardly any line of sight. You're completely, you know, in a graveyard. So as the battle um, takes place, you can only bring troops on from objectives you hold. So things will start swinging around and troops will be coming on from, um, you know, unexpected areas um, really close to each other. So it's quite intense. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That I mean, fun. just having those sort of, to quote video games, spawn points within the board will definitely make for a new and original gaming experience that, I mean, definitely gives a historical feeling, but actually, I mean, it's also, there's that tense, wait, where are they coming from now moment um, that is just, yeah, that, that'll be awesome to play out. Yeah, it's wild. It's like the, the play tests we had for that were just so much fun, people just losing it. Like, <laughs> it was cool. Um, the play also we got, I'm just looking through the book now in front of me. Um, there's so many, there's 16 scenarios in here. So yes. I can only really talk about a couple without it you know, going on too long. And I would yes. like to leave some, some surprises for people yes. in the book. Um, but that, but they're, they're two really good ones. Um, this, the heart of the book in the middle is the siege of the city itself. And mm-hmm. some of the scenarios I really enjoy too are designed to be played multiple times. So whereas some campaign books missions might be specifically about a certain day or afternoon, you know, a certain battle that only happened this one time, some of the scenarios in the middle of this book are designed to be played multiple times in a more representative of a style of fighting that was taking place over several weeks or months inside mm-hmm. the city. Um, so more like an archetypal scenario, like a street fight um, over some ba- some street barricades or clearing an area uh, block by block. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way they're designed is so, you know, this could almost be played in, in, in many city siege situations like Stalingrad or Kharkov, Berlin, anywhere. So... Um, I've tried to equip players with basically a bit of a toolbox of stuff to use for urban fighting. So you've got these missions that can be played with many types of forces, I suppose, um, and, and in different ways and multiple times. And then there's an extra layer on top of the scenarios, which is this system called the City Siege Assets. 
And they're basically like add-ons for your army list that don't cost any points. And the way they work is they're sort of split into three lists and they're like, um, for one for the defender, one for the attacker, and one set of neutral ones. That's right. And yeah. and and what what you do is you get to choose one per 500 points in your force from the list. Um, and like I said, they don't cost anything. So if you're playing a thousand point game, you get to choose two of these supports, these sort of siege assets. And um, one for the like for the attacker, for example, might be um, you know um, I think there's one called like prisoner interrogation where you know your troops have oh. moved up in the night and stolen. You know, captured some prisoners and got some intelligence mm -hmm. and that'll mean that like d3 of your enemy units that are hidden will become unhidden and you choose who they are mm. um you know you can get artillery bombardments um you can infiltrate via the sewer so you can pop up behind each other um which is a, which is really good for the attacker um you get extra snipers assigned to your sector or an extra squad because you're making a huge you know big push mm -hmm. um the defender can set up um, street barricades or tank traps. Um, they can um, fortify a building and make it, you know, a bit more their troops inside a bit more survivable. Mm -hmm. and set up ammo dumps, set up medical medical um, first aid posts. Like there's all these different tactics you can use. And as you play through the book, you'll realize you can play the same mission a couple of times. And if you change up those support, um, the, the city siege assets. If you change what you use, you'll have a totally different gaming experience with that. That's so. Awesome sort of just adds another dimension um, to help with the siege the siege feeling and also the gameplay. Yeah, and really helps drive that narrative feel uh, for the missions that are in the book. I mean, it really helps put it or give it an original gaming experience that, yeah, as you say, is fun and different and is allows you to really replay and replay and replay and have it different every time. Yeah, that's what I wanted because I know these campaign books um, really scratch that itch for someone who wants to play the historical battles exactly as they were and this does that but on top of that this actually offers to the people who just love gameplay and love playing bolt action this offers something for them to basically from what i can from what i tried to do nice okay well let's talk what kind of forces we'll find obviously we've talked hungarians obviously we're going to have soviet forces but i know there's much much more so why don't you give us just a taste of maybe some of the forces and then maybe some of the cool new units that people might find. Cause I know that, uh, that a lot of us like to play narrative games and play with our friends. Um, but I also know that sometimes people like to play uh, maybe more competitively and there may be elements of this book that can be used in those, in that context as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll go nation by nation. That might help. Definitely. Um, cause otherwise I'll pinball around cause there's too many cool units. <laughs> right on. Uh, um, okay, so we'll start with Germany. Um, they're like the, the Germans and the Soviets were the biggest players in the theater, even though it's, you know, the battle taking place in Hungary. So mm -hmm. I'll start with those two. Um, so the Germans get, um, they get a few new selectors and the way I've approached theater selectors in this book is I've made them more, what I think in my head are called like force selectors. So rather than an entire theater, um, you know, that they cover and it just gives you sort of a list of the troops that were there. Mm -hmm. um, because this is a campaign book, I think you can zoom down even further than that and pick particular types of platoon that existed. So, you know, like the 88 battery I talked about before, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's, a, that's a type of formation rather than a theatre, you know. Definitely. So there's the 88 battery, um, there's a Panzer Grenadier um, platoon, so you've got these sort of motorised infantry, they're all in transports, um, they have more armoured cars than normal. Mm -hmm. Um, the the basic trooper troop units called a Panzer Grenadier squad, 
um, which can be taken a regular or veteran, has um, up to two light machine guns, which you pay for. Um, so it's like the first, I think it's the first squad entry you can take in the in the German list that's regular that can take two light machine guns and um, is late war. Nice. Um, they can dismount and, and, and re-enter their transports with a bit of a special rule. They get a re-roll even under fire. Oh, cool. That's their, their doctrine, yeah. Um, and that's a nice force because um, you can take an armored version of that too, where all the troops are in half tracks. Um, it's called a it's called a Panzer Grenadier Kampfgruppe because they used to basically they they put all the best sort of armored troops and tanks into one formation, and that was the attacking force they'd mm-hmm. send out. So all the half tracks and the Panthers and Panzer fours would go out and attack, and the rest of the unit who were sort of in trucks and soft skin vehicles and and with their sort of lower Grade tanks like assault guns, they'd actually hang back and hold the flank of that unit, sort of as a defensive situation. So the attacking force in all their armored transports, they they have their own list too, where the officers can actually command from the back of the half track. They can do um, the you men snap to attention rule from the half track. Oh, that's cool. So they can they can they can extend their command radius out. They can give orders um, to the troops inside the transport with them or within the, their command radius. So that's a real nice perks for someone who's going to spend all the all the points and you know giving every squad a half track because you've got to have everyone in a half track if you're going to do this list yeah definitely um yeah so most of the lists that i'll talk about um that are the really specific force ones they have some great perks and great special rules but they'll have a lot of restrictions too so you you'll have to commit to a certain style of force you won't really be able to take you know the best cool stuff with a special rule and then take a bunch of inexperienced you know, chaff on the side to sort of offset it or something. This mm-hmm. is going to be pretty specific. So they're, they're sort of internally balanced, I think. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah, the Germans get their sort of motorized troops, the armored troops. Um, they get a multinational platoon with the Hungarians together, mixed together with the Germans. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, and that's called the, they're called the Budapest Pocket Defend- Defenders because they were trapped in the pocket together. Mm-hmm. They were... Um, in the history you'll read, they actually integrated the Hungarian troops under German command and mixed them in with their platoons to sort of stiffen their resistance and mm-hmm. give them give them a bit more um, firepower and backup. So if you're a German player at the moment and you want to have something different to paint just to add into your forces, you can pick up a couple of squads of Hungarians and they can mix in um, using this this um, theater selector. It's got some. They get they get street barricades as there's kind of special rules. So they get a few defenses mm-hmm. um, and talks about in the book how to set them up with those in like an open play game, like doesn't have to be just in the theater book. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause all these lists are written and all the new units, they're all specifically um, like capable of being played in open play. They're not just for this theater book. So I've made the language quite clear cause I know sometimes that's been a bit confusing in mm-hmm. the past with these books. So, um, well, that's really, German- that's, I, I couldn't help but think that if you are wanting to play with some of these awesome new models. As you say, all you have to do is add a couple of Hungarian squads if you have an existing German army. But if you really want to, you know, use that as a jumping in point and getting a Hungarian army on the table, I know that sometimes it can be daunting to get an entire army built and painted. Um, but if you want to, as you say, segue that and use that um, pocket force platoon, um, that would be a great way to, you know, over time build up your Hungarian forces and just over time cycle out the Germans and cycle in additional Hungarians. And by the time you're done, you can start using other H- Hungarian uh, selectors and you've got yourself a brand new army. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's because there's no actual um, like specified ratio of Hungarians to Germans in the platoon. You can have a really Hungarian heavy platoon with just one German squad, or you can have it the other way around where there's, you know, not that many Hungarians and mostly Germans. Like it's not because it, during the siege it was so ad hoc, and there is um there's just so many troop types too to put in that platoon. You can you'll be able to see. Um, yeah, it's a great way to collect a new force. Um, and same with um, some of the other selectors. Um, well, some of the other squads, um, before we finish on the Germans, they get a couple of other new units that are part of the SS. Oh, cool. Um, they get some SS cavalry divisions. There was two of them that were trapped in the city, the 8th and the 22nd. And um, they dismounted and fought on foot. So you don't get charging cavalry or anything. Mm. The horses were sent to the rear. So these are all infantry forces. But they were. I tried to build in some unique sort of builds for them in terms of the rules. So... Um, there's the first, what I can, or from what I can tell, it's there's the first um, regular SS units available. I think they're only really available as veterans and mm-hmm. some inexperienced at the moment. That's right. So this allows you to field a regular all veteran SS force. Um, one of the divisions, the 22nd, was raised from local Hungarian volunteers. So they get a special rule called Home Grounds because they know Budapest and they know the, the land a bit better and they can sort of, they get really interesting setup rules where, um, they get to be put down after other troops, like after both sides are set up, but before the infiltrating troops. Um, and they can set up in ambush, um, things like that. So there's an interesting option, of a gameplay style that isn't available to Germans yet. Um, plus they've got the interesting history of, you know, the campaign and why they were there and who they are. Um, and then from there, you can jump over to Soviets. And what I've tried to do with the Soviets is they had really specific um, types of platoons that are really different to what you'd you're used to seeing the Soviets in this campaign. Like, Do they obviously had, yeah, they obviously, they obviously had like their big rifle divisions um, that were forming the bulk of of the offensive. But when they got to the city siege, after the first couple of weeks, they were realizing they were getting nowhere. Like, I think there's a quote in the book where um, I think it's been like, it's been three weeks of fighting and they've only taken, I think, like, 100 city blocks out of 700 like it's nothing like they're just gruelingly like just fighting their way through this city and it's not working so they actually draw upon some of what they learned in stalingrad and reorganized um the front end of their sort of rifle divisions to become these urban assault platoons where they'd like build a specific like task force for urban fighting where all the men armed with submachine guns were brought up to the front in like a an assault wave basically and all the riflemen were sort of sent to the to be support troops to come in later. And these these like pointy end these urban assault groups, they'd have, you know, they'll had, had their leaders were like given choice of any sort of close support weapons they wanted to to get the task done. So they were given like extra sort of um, light howitzers, like forty five mil guns and flamethrowers and machine guns and anti tank rifles, which they used to sort of shoot up, you know, enemy machine gun nests or snipers because they could just blow through the walls with the anti-tank rifles. So this squad, like this platoon, sorry, um, it's pretty specialised in how it's built. Like you can't take many tanks or transports or anything. It's mostly infantry, but you get um, like way more artillery pieces and machine guns and flamethrowers than normal um, in it to sort of offset that. Um, you also don't get the free inexperienced squad, the Soviet. Oh, cool. Kit. Because it just doesn't make any sense because yeah. they didn't throw in a random unit of inexperienced troops in this. They sent up the best men with 
the close close combat weapons like these you know grenades and smgs to sort of fight their way through building by building so you get a lot of perks but like i said you don't get that free squad which is sort of offsets that mm-hmm. so that's, so for soviet players it offers something new they have probably haven't played with before um the other platoon i really love is the um forward detachment reconnaissance party and that's um basically these guys were like the forward party from the tank brigades and they were all so like a mixture of like scouts and armored infantry so they'd race ahead in then lease vehicles like Bren carriers or M3 white scout cars. Um, and they just range ahead fast as they could. And their job was to sort of um, clear a path for the tanks to get through. So any roadblocks um, they'd get rid of, any bridges they'd capture, um, just try and disrupt the enemy and, and just be really aggressive. So this platoon, all your men um, have to be in an armored carrier, like a M3 white scout car or the Bren carrier. Nice. Um, so it's a little bit expensive, but um, and they get... Um, because of their sort of aggressive doctrine, they get to make a free move before the game begins. It'd be like the US Rangers. So you've got this really sort of fast moving armored army with lots of machine guns, but not many men. So that's going to be a real challenge and something different for Soviet players as well. Definitely. Okay. Next up, uh, after the Soviets, they get, I mean, they get a, they get a couple of free squ- uh, new squads too. They're oh, cool. Not, um, they're not just selectors. So, uh, they get the um, the forward detachment, like the recon squad that mm-hmm. goes in those carriers. Is it's kind of unique in itself. So um, they get to they get a, they get a pretty interesting rule where they're given the option when you when you're dismounting from these vehicles to go into attack, you can leave some of your squad members behind to man the guns on the on the carriers oh, because some of these cool. car- some of these vehicles like the M3 scout car can have up to three machine guns on them. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you can leave some men behind to cover the rest of the squad. Um, but you've got to make a sort of bit of a call on it when you do it because you won't get them back. They're just taken taken off the table. They're not casualties, but they also don't count towards being on the table either. So yeah. they're kind of neutral. They're just removed as models. So it's a bit of a gamble, but I think it's in some situations it gives you another option to keep up the firepower if you want. Yeah, but oh, as cool as that is, the, as you say, it comes with that sacrifice, and you do have to sacrifice. I can't think. I mean, I can't tell you how many games of bolt action have come down to just one or two models on an objective. But if you've sacrificed those models to man the guns on a transport, they're not there, and that's a big deal. So it's cool that you know you're getting to keep the guns going on your transports. But as you say there's a price and that could cost you the game depending on, I mean, bolt action happens, right? Yeah. I just wanted to, I think it's just, you'll see throughout the book. I just wanted to give players a choice. Like Mm -hmm. I think the more options you have available that come with that, that tough decision, the more interesting it can be. Um, You know, there are perks and it is cool, but like you say, that can not always be the best choice. Not an auto. I don't want to do any auto includes or auto choices. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You don't want to break the game, so to speak. Yeah, 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 it's got to be balanced. Um, so that's the Soviets. Um, they get they get a few other things here and there, but we've got to sort of leave some surprises for everyone. Um, oh yeah, there's um the Hungarians are up next. They get over twenty new units in the book. Oh. <laughs> um, that just shows you like the the depth that we've added to that nation as a force. So mm-hmm. if you're thinking of collecting them, there's a lot there to choose from. Um, they get everything from. Um, Border guards, which were troops that were sort of in the Carpathian Mountains on the 
on the border that mm-hmm. were the first ones to face the Soviet um, offensives. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like um, they were locally recruited woodsmen. Um, they're lightly equipped, but they're, they're they've got a few special rules so they can move around the table a bit through the rough terrain and woods a bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um, they they even get a full um, force selector in the in the book. So if you want to collect a border guards platoon, they're really interesting. Um, they had like. German Gebirgsjäger were with them fighting in the mountains and helping. So you can sort of have like a, a slightly mixed force too. Nice. Um, there's a lot of troops that were trapped inside Budapest that were really, really odd. So um, you've got the gendarmerie, which are, are kind of like a rural police or, or municipal police mm-hmm. um, force. Um, they get some special rules around keeping people like motivated around them and, and themselves. Um, you got various militia that were sort of formed when the siege happened. So there's three different units in there. Um, like one of them, for example, was made up of all the city um, municipal workers who knew the sewer system and the you know the drains and the trams and um, you know electricity. They they knew all the, how the city worked, so they could they use it to infiltrate and move through the sewer and come up behind the Soviets. Um, that's really cool. They're called the Vaini Battalion Flying Squad. Um, so they got their pretty pretty cool name as well. Damn yeah, because they're like um, a circus act. Yeah, they basically almost were. They were like a, a private army of this guy called Vaney, who's a first world war veteran, and he sort of recruited all these guys um, to form like almost like a private army to resist the Soviets. Um, you've got um, some more options for basic Hungarian Honved, which are like their name for a Hungarian troop trooper. Mm-hmm. It means home defender. Um, so. Your basic infantry squads for the army, they get more options than they do in the armies of Italy book. Um, you get MG42 as an option. You can upgrade your, your Hungarians with. You pay a few extra points and you get an extra shot if you like machine gun in the squad. Nice. Because some of them had German machine guns. Mm-hmm. Um, you get paratroopers, obviously, which are the miniatures that come out. They've got mm-hmm. some really um, some really good uh, special rules because they were quite tough. Um, there's a couple of anecdotes you'll read in the book where um after after they attacked um on the Attila line, they actually did a counterattack and they overran a Soviet headquarters and they found all these paperwork um and reports that were going back about mm-hmm. the situation and and they, they read about themselves in those reports and they were just described as tough as old boots. So <laughs> awesome. So so they um yeah, they had a good reputation for hard fighting. So there's a few sort of special rules they have that give them some perks in in assault, basically. Um they're not I didn't give them stubborn like most paratroopers have just because I thought it has become a bit of an auto include and I didn't read anything that particularly made me think they were, you know, holding out to the last man or anything. They just mm-hmm. seemed like really tough, very motivated troops. So I gave them a different different set of rules, different fields to the other nations paratroopers. Nice. Um there's what else is there? There's a whole bunch of um there's a whole bunch of troops in there basically to check out. Um, and there's a couple of, uh, yeah, like updated rules for vehicles. Like the Zrinyi has, um, a different, a second set of informa- uh, ammunition, the, the heat ammunition, the That's high explosive right. anti-tank. Um, cause I was reading about how they were using those to stop the C-34s. Um, one, one really bizarre and interesting, um, artillery piece they had was a rocket launcher, um, called a mace thrower. Yes. Yeah, it, that it, thing looks crazy too. It's it it almost looks like a modern RPG, um, cr- like stuck on a, a Maxim guns wheelie, uh, cart. Yeah, it's pretty much what it was. They were just using these, like they had hundreds of, the, of captured 
Soviet Maxim machine guns. So they just took the trolley, the little wheeled trolley they came on, um, and their scientists had developed a rocket, unguided rocket system, which is, you know, this huge 230-millimeter, you know, diameter warheads. Oh. And they just stuck them on rails on top of these little wheeled trolleys. And they had two different types of ammunition. One was um, called... Zapor, which means rain, and that was for any infantry, like a high explosive. Mm-hmm. And then they had the 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 mace ammunition for for punching through armor. So they tested them on on IS two tanks, and they were firing them at the captured IS two tanks to check them out, and they were getting through the armor. So these were used in the siege. Um, you know, you can think you think about how small a Maxim carriage is. You know, you yeah. can move through, move them through the rubble and ambush tanks and stuff. So see, so that's an option for you in the in this book for the Hungarians um, or a German platoon, if it's a mixed one, um, they got some, you know, they got some really gnarly special rules. It's kind of pretty much a shape charge launcher that has two types of ammunition. Um, so it's pretty versatile. Yeah, That's, that's pretty awesome. cool. And it, yeah, it's so iconic too. Once you know what you're looking for, um, that I, I, it's just going to look awesome on the tabletop. Yeah, there's um there, there, there's a lot more Hungarian stuff in there, but um including some selectors like I talked about with the border guards. There's an assault gun um, platoon as well. You can take basically it's like a tank platoon that doesn't require the infantry to have transports because the assault guns were dedicated any and uh, dedicated infantry support. So they roll along slowly um, to help out the infantry. So that's a mixed platoon you can take, which is fun. Um. And they got an armored division platoon as well. So there's a Hungarian armored um, platoon selector. Um, has a really some really cool special rules that Amph and I developed back in the day on that PDF. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the, the Hungarians pride themselves um, on more of a cavalry tradition. That was their sort of military heritage. So their tank troops drew on that old like um, hussar spirit that their forefathers had. So mm. they were quite bold. Like their tanks weren't. Um, up to date in terms of technology they weren't super heavily armored or well equipped with the guns so they kind of had to try and offset that by being bold so you get a special rule for that in if you take a selector of just hungarian tanks mm-hmm. as a bit of a perk which is fun That's cool. um and yeah that sort of rounds out the hungarians is a bit more there's a lot more than that there's 20 units but yeah. you know most most of those you can read about in the book um, last up, there's a section, a smaller section on the Romanians, um, yes. because they actually, yeah, they switched sides. Like just as this campaign began, um, their, their, their nation fell to the Soviet offensives mm-hmm. and they decided to join them, join the allied side, um, rather than, you know, what they thought they'd face. So you get, um, a new set of national special rules for the Romanians that are now part of the allied forces. So the, the, the current Romanian army list is mostly sort of covering their axis, mm-hmm. um, you know, time from, you know, 1941 to 1944. And this is the when they swap sides. So there's a new set of national special rules to better, accurate, more accurately sort of represent them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can integrate slightly with Soviet forces. So if you're a Romanian player, you, you'll, give you, you'll give you some new options so you can add in some Soviet units into your force, mostly supporting troops like artillery and tanks and leaders and officers and commissars. Mm-hmm. But also um, there's a great um, sort of rule for the Romanians in this book where, um, I mean, they would basically used, Stalin used them as his cat and fodder for, you know, mm-hmm. they were recently, they were a recent enemy who just turned and they had this 
really bloody siege they were trying to fight. So the, he was thrown, or the Soviets were throwing in the Romanians um, into the real tough assaults and treating them basically as cannon fodder. So there's a, a rule in here where um, if you take three squads of infantry, you'll get a fourth one for free, and that's regular or inexperienced. So um, you can really bulk up on infantry and, and create those sort of, you know, waves that they're throwing into the assaults in the city mm-hmm. they get um they get a lot less um artillery um than the current romanian list which mm-hmm. is kind of known for taking three or four big artillery pieces just because oh, yeah. of the way the rules work but um in my research that's just not not the case in this at, at least at this time so mm-hmm. um all that stuff stripped out but as a, as a offset you'll get more infantry to represent what was, you know, their situation more in this case. Mm-hmm. They get a few new units too. You get um, a mountain vision squad, which were like their elite troops in the Carpathians as well. And they got some cool rules for moving through mountains, um, rough ground, um, they're veterans. And you get um, a pioneer squad, an assault pioneer squad for the Romanians because they, they did have them all through the war. So mm-hmm. these, same with the mountain troops, these can be used for your Axis or allied Romanian armies. They're not tied to any specific selector so these are you for use in the generic platoon um and they should offer the romanians some some troops they've been missing so that's awesome man nice little nice little touch there so you haven't just given love to one minor power you've really bulked out a second one as well yeah definitely the romanians didn't need it as much they had most of what they needed so exactly but it's good though i think it's cool because it gives them the allied um, list now for them fighting on the allied side that's true. For a lot of those campaign days where people are picking one side or the other, all of a sudden, if you have a Romanian army, you can play on the other side if you need, which is awesome. That's true. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, because it, that swing, that swing position is always sort of tie, you know, held for the Italians. But now, you know, there's there's another army that can go both directions. That's awesome. So yeah, I think that's um, that pretty much rounds out the new forces and new squads and most of the scenarios um well that's a lot man yeah there's still there's still plenty more in the book i haven't touched on but i think it's um it's enough of a taster for people to go check it out if they're interested Mm. um definitely yeah the only other thing i wanted to thank the the people i wanted to thank at the end um before we move off are you'll notice if you pick up the book um and you flick through there's some some really sort of incredible imagery in there Mm-hmm. Um, just to help set the scene for Budapest as a city and, and as a battlefield. And and that was all due to the help of a couple of guys in Australia here, a family of guys who built the terrain specifically for this book, mm-hmm. for the photos. Um, so that's um, Paul Berwick and Dennis um, and their brother Akhtar. So these guys in Tasmania, they I contacted them because they're just amazing terrain builders. So and good. Yeah. yeah, and I just knew that if we're going to pull this book off, it's got to have a certain look to the imagery because it's set in a city, you know, in a specific mm-hmm. city too. Um, and, I knew, and, I, and I was lucky enough that they were up for working on the project together. So um, especially Paul, who headed it up, he's gone just to the most um, amazing levels of detail with the buildings he made from scratch um, for the photos. So they're all based off photos of Budapest during the siege. He even hand painted like a watercolor background, showing showing the city skyline that we could use in the photos so as the good. backdrop. Um, you know, this guy just just incredible work, and um, we're sharing some of the photos on 
a Facebook page that I run full of hobby called the Bolt Action Alliance. So mm-hmm. feel free to check that out. And we're going to be doing a series of posts which show um, some of the photos from the book and then how they were made, like the work in progress photos of the buildings and also the historical photos they're based off. So if you're really, you know, nerding out on Budapest and you want some more visual inspiration, then check out our Facebook page because we're going to be doing some posts on that soon. If, if I may, Brian, it, it, it mm-hmm. goes beyond just the battle for Budapest. If you really are interested in making your World War II or just general urban terrain next level, um, I, I have a lot of urban terrain and I'm always looking to make mine better. Uh, but just looking at that, I got great ideas for um, my terrain for the Battle of Shanghai, for example. And it had nothing to do with Budapest, but had everything to do with looking at those pictures and just mining them for ideas. So if you haven't checked out, and it's just a wonderful resource in general, the Bolt Action Alliance uh, Facebook page is fantastic. And Brian's stuff is throughout there. Um, and it's, I mean, Brian won't tell you this. But it's next level stuff, and it's painting for it's painting for vehicles, infantry, um, army ideas, terrain. It's just amazing. It is a wonderful resource, and it's just got some of the big names and bolt action behind it. So if you haven't checked it out, you really owe yourself to go check it out because it's amazing. Is this worth it to like to have a look? Because I'll always be posting up um, any new painting guides I do. I'll share them there, so That's you'll be right. able to keep up with you know ideas for painting as well. Um, but yeah, the guys, yeah, the guys just went, went completely to another level with this terrain. And, um, just quickly to round it off, there was a whole bunch of people who sent models in for the photography too. So mm-hmm. they, like Seamus, um, in Chicago painted up some tanks, some Soviet troops and sent them over in the mail. Mm-hmm. Pat, Patch painted up some Soviet vehicles and tanks, um, posted them up from Canberra. So in my garage, when I took the photos, I had all these these, these sort of models arriving like there were, you know, celebrities on private jets, you know, mm-hmm. traveling internationally to come to the photo shoot. <laughs> and that was, um, that was a really fun aspect right at the end of the, of the building this book was taking some of the photos just in the garage um, and working on that and how to sort of visually tell the story as well as with words. Yeah. And I think that also speaks volumes of A, the community, um, and the outreach of people who um, contributed to make this book visually what it is, because it is beautiful. But it also, I think, speaks volumes, A, about your skill, but also B, what is possible if you really put a lot of time and effort in, because the the photography for this book is truly sensational. And as you said, it was done in your garage. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's the, it's the, um, the magic of that film, I think they'd say, but this time it's a still film. Yeah. So, you know, you can get you can get away with a lot when you're cropped in just on a photo. You don't know what's happening on around the, the outside. And it's all good. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of – and then just to round off too, like you said, about the community, there was a lot of people who helped playtest, um, proofread, mm-hmm. um, add ideas in um, from across the globe, like a lot of the guys um, in the UK, like um, Steve Tibbs, who mm-hmm. runs Cambridge Too Far, was it? A really um, awesome guy to have on board. He just like you know analytically checked everything for consistency with the rules and wording and points. Um, David Hunter chucked in lots of ideas and Seamus, um, yourself, Patch, just a huge bunch of guys all contributing just to help um, make sure this didn't have any holes in it. Because um, you know once these are printed, you don't want to have you know mistakes or 
the points wrong or something silly in there it'll break the game exactly because that's just you know all the feel bads you don't want that no you don't no you don't um because all it takes sometimes is just one or two little things and um you know people tar a book unfortunately with it but having having read your book uh i have got to say that it is it is truly something special and for all the people that you thanked i would like to turn it around back on you uh and say thank you brian because this is and i do have some favorite books um that have come out for bolt action and i'm a massive bolt action fan but uh it's it's it, i think since I have very little interest in that particular, you know, I have a ton of armies. I'm a, I'm a Pacific guy. Uh, I am probably not going to go out and buy a Hungarian army. Um, but man, this book cover to cover is one of the best. And it has really hooked me in a way I didn't think would be possible because I didn't have a ton of interest in it. But man, I'm about to reread it because my hard copy is coming in the mail and when I open it, I'm actually afraid for my wallet because, <laughs> ooh, so many good new units and oh, just yeah, it's amazing. I purposely, yeah, so, and that's the thing. Like, I'm, 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 I'm ordering stuff from from Warlord at the moment to build the platoons from the books mm -hmm. as well because <laughs> I just, I just know I've just um, got myself all excited again now the yeah. books out because it was, you know, it was, it was. I sort of finished it all up um, and handed it in. Um, eight months ago you know mm -hmm. so it's all it's all feeling fresh again which is good so i'm excited and looking forward to collecting the platoons from the book oh that's awesome well again congratulations and well done sir and uh guys if you haven't checked it uh, brian's work it, you owe yourself to go to the bolt action alliance and check out the quality of brian's painting and just his list building and all the the great stuff he does but then Again, when this book comes out, uh, this is a man who does not do things by halves. This is truly something special. You owe yourself to go check it out. So, yes, please go to your local friendly game store or go to warlord.com and get it. It is worth it. So, and while we're thanking people, I think it's important that we thank you, the listener. So thank you so much for listening to the official Warlord Games podcast. It is always just wonderful to talk about the wonderful games that warlord makes and to uh to talk to the people who sort of make the magic happen uh brian thank you so much for coming on mate no worries it was a pleasure thanks for having us and um yeah thanks to warlord for uh, having faith in in um a hobbyist and covering this this theater and producing a model range for a minor nation i think it's it's really great to see them add to the wargaming world in that way yeah exactly well, guys, thank you very much for listening. As always, if you have any feedback for the show or ideas for future shows, and many people have, and we've had a ton of wonderful feedback about our last couple of episodes, um, if you'd like to reach me as the host, you can find me at my regular podcast page on Facebook. That's Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. If you message that page, you will get only one person. That person is me. My name is Brad. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts about either, you know, criticisms or ideas for the future or just the people who've listened and said nice things. And, you know, we really do appreciate um, on this podcast you taking the time to listen because though podcasts don't cost anything, Time is precious, and um, the time that you spent listening to this is appreciated. So thank you very much. Uh, from us at Warlord Games, I would like to say good night.